Good morning. morning. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. From the Bible Broadcasting Network, they did us a little survey. Love tips explained by kids. (laughs) What is the proper age to get married? Tom, age five. Once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. (laughs) Lynette, age nine. The great debate, is it better to be single or married? Lynette says, it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. The boys need somebody to clean up after them. (laughs) I hesitated reading that one. What is it like when you are falling in love? Roger, age nine. It's like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. (laughs) And our last one, Will, age seven. What is a ballad you can sing to your beloved? Hey, baby, I don't like girls, but I'm willing to forget you are one. Remember the show, Out of the Mouth of Babes, right? So, but let's turn to the word of God. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though the war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Let's stand together as we sing. Bye. 
some special things too.
website will give you many options of things to click on, and hopefully you will find the information that you need there. And if you reach out to us, we will get back with you. Um, if you've been in the atrium, you've noticed that things are different. This is one of two Sundays that we are doing Say Yes. This is a time when all of our ministries have a presence in the atrium, and this is an opportunity for you to not only see all that this church offers, but a chance for you to get plugged in. We are a big church, but one of the best ways for us to, small, like a feel, to feel like a small church is for you to get plugged in with the ministry. Um, we survive by volunteers, and we have the most wonderful volunteers at Anastasia. If you are a volunteer, on behalf of all the ministries, we thank you. And if you're not serving, we would love to talk about the many opportunities for you to do so. There is a guide in your bulletin of all the different tables in the atrium and all the different ministries represented, so that could help you find what you're looking for. On Sunday, February 25th, we will have a child dedication. You can go to AnastasiaKids.com for more information, or you can email Stephanie Stiles, whose email is in the bulletin, um, and she will answer questions and get you registered. Also on Sunday the 25th, at 4 p.m. is our congregation meeting, and we encourage you to be there for that meeting. It is my honor, through tears, to recognize a beloved friend, ministry partner, and staff member, Becky Yeoman. <laughs> Becky has been a part of this church since birth. she has been. God has moved Becky to another area of ministry. She will be the family service counselor at St. John's Family Funeral Home, where I know that she will be a blessing because she has a heart for people, and she has a, a heart for ministry. And Becky, we are sad for us, but we are very happy for you. Um, as a friend and as a co-worker, there are not enough words to express all of the appreciation that I feel for this lady. And I have told her that we will never know this side of heaven. The number of hearts, young hearts, that she has touched for the Lord. The number of seeds that have been planted, not only in children, but in their families. And Becky, you are a treasure, and we love you. She's not leaving. This is her home church. She will still be here, just not on staff. What a blessing. <laughs>
I used to go and do the kids clubs over at the Crookshank School, and I didn't know what to do, and I, I was always struggling with that, and I called Becky and said, Becky, can you help me out here? This is what the lesson's about. And, and she said, Becky would always say, well, just come by. Just come by. And you got her all set up and helped her to, to make those times a success. And that's, that's how she is, just quietly in the background, making sure things happen with excellence, with compassion, uh, with truly the, the will and the spirit of the Lord. So, Becky, we're so grateful for you. And we want to pray you out with a blessing. So I'm going to pray over her. And if any of you want to raise your hand toward her uh, in solidarity, I invite you to do that. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the kids' ministry that we have here at Anastasia, Lord. And I ask that you be with the team as they move forward. But Lord, also as Becky's moving forward, we are so grateful that she is a part of this church family and will continue to be a part of that. But Lord, I ask that you bless her. And Lord, give her grace and favor as she moves into this new direction. And Lord, we will never know the impact
verse on two. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ don't know. If you have to cross an aisle, do it. But welcome someone here this morning.
church committees. And if you'd like to be the boss of me, that would be the place you could start. Because I, I report to the committees and to Pastor Walter. So just, um, just giving you an opportunity. And we're just so thankful for everyone that's here and everyone that gives their time. Um, and those that, that uh, come here every week and keep the children's ministry running and the choir and orchestra. I mean, you know, all of these people are volunteers and, and we could not have church without them. And we still have many, many openings. We have many opportunities. If anyone wants to serve, we will find you a home. So just, just be, be aware and take, take advantage of the opportunity that we have today. We'll also have the same opportunity on Wednesday night and again on Sunday, next, next Sunday. So even if you don't want to sign up for something today, you can check out a ministry uh, and then go home and pray about it and come back and sign up if you want. So we just like to, to thank you all for serving. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship in your house. Father, we thank you for the many, many volunteers who come and, and help our ministries. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you're giving us to, to recruit some new, some new faces. Father, we just thank you for the gift of your son and the resurrection and the grace and the peace that you have for us, Father. Father, we just ask that as we recruit these people that we put every person in the place that they belong, Father, that they, that they would feel the joy of serving and not just feel it as a duty. Father, we just pray that as we go forward that we would do everything we do firmly within your will. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. What a great morning it's been already, amen? <clears throat> I want to throw a slide up on the screen, and I want you to look at it and tell me what you, what you, what you notice about it. You guys didn't know that I was going to bring math into the, into the sermon today, did you? Like, oh my gosh, math, what are we doing that? It's the weekend, Okay. So, <clears throat> do you notice anything? Yeah. You do. You all notice something. Okay. Okay. So, let's see. what. Did, oh, there we are. So, is this what you noticed? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, how come nobody noticed all of the other things that I did right? You noticed the one little thing that I did wrong, didn't you? One little thing. I wrote all of the numbers up there right. I did all of the math up there right except one little teeny tiny digit I did wrong. And you all noticed it. Right? Why? Because our eyes and our brains immediately gravitate towards that which is wrong. <laughs> our brains and our conscience easily remember most often and most often believe the parts of ourselves that we like the least. And I can't speak for everybody in this regard, but most people like me probably would agree with this idea that the bad stuff about ourselves is easier to believe. Somebody could say a hundred good things about me all day long or all month long or whatever, but then one person will come and say something negative, say something critical, say something that hurts, and that's the one thing that I remember. A lot of times you might find yourself to be the same way. I could eat healthy all day long, right? Trying to eat healthy, trying to make good decisions, I could have Grilled fish and salad, I could be eating the right things every meal, but then 
I have one scoop of ice cream. I have one helping too many. I do one little piece of candy or one little sweet treat that I knew I shouldn't have done. And that's the one thing to land on my bed at night. I'm like, oh, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that one. There's, and, and I would guess that you're probably the same. You don't think, oh, I did good 10 times. You think I did bad one time. There's this guy, his name is Martin Luther. And if you've been around Christendom for a little while, you may have heard of Martin Luther. And he was a devout monk in the Catholic Church in Germany in the 1500s. And he was often found in his room by himself weeping over the state of his sinfulness. As uh, he later became one of the most significant feature, uh, f- uh, figures of the Protestant Reformation, changed church world forever, and as devout as he was, he saw himself as a wretched sinner. Now let's think about this little concept a little bit deeper. There are probably some more significant areas of your life than eating a piece of sweets at night. Or seasons in your life that you might not be super proud of. Maybe it's a habit that you have. Maybe it's a word that you say or have said or a set of words that you've said. Maybe it's uh, <clears throat> actions that you did once or a vice that you partake in. Or maybe you didn't do it just once. Maybe you did it multiple times. And you, you may find yourself asking yourself, am I a good wife Am I a good husband? Am I a good son? Am I a good daughter? Am I a good mommy or daddy? Am I a great employee? Do I give it a 110%? Do I really do what I'm supposed to be doing? Or you might even ask yourself, am I a good Christian? I'd probably guess that your answer is something like this. Well, I try. I do my best. You might say, I'm not as bad as that guy. He might be sitting right next to you. Not as bad as you are. You might be saying, I'm not as good as that person is. I'm not as bad as that person is. But I'm doing my best. I think that I'm, I'm okay. At least I'm trying. I'd probably guess that there's probably plenty of moments in your life that you're not proud of. And let me share a secret with you. Okay, you ready? Me too. Me too. There's a lot of areas in my life that I'm not proud of. And you know what I need? You know what we all need? We need grace. We need God's grace. What is God's grace? There's a little acrostic that I like to use to uh, remember it, and it's this. With the... Right? <laughs> Right there. God's riches at Christ's expense. That means that God bestows his riches upon us, his blessings upon us, and we don't earn it. It's not based on what we can pay for. It's based on what Christ has paid for. He gives to us freely. We need it so completely and so consistently And as we experience the grace of God, we can see how incredibly, truly powerful His grace really is. So let's dive into this passage in Titus, and I'll explain what I'm talking about. So we're in the series of the book of Titus. 
Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is what we're talking about today. We're going verse by verse through Titus. I'm reading from the CSB. The verses will be up on the, scripture, or up on the screen, but I do want to ask you to get your Bibles out because you're going to want to mark this one up, as I have. This is kind of how I understood it. When I started marking it up, I started seeing things pop out a little bit differently. So go ahead and get your Bibles out. I'm going to read from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It says this. For the grace of God has appeared to us, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. As I dig into this passage, let me share a little bit of context with you. If you've been with us on the last few messages in the book of Titus, you might have gotten some of this context, but if you're joining us today, if you're joining us online, if this is the, the first time that you're catching us here in Titus, then let me share a little bit of context on what's going on here. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to his partner in ministry, Titus. We first see come together, they come to a connection point. We see it in the book of Galatians and in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul mentions Titus and how they traveled together and did ministry together. And then they came and met together um, at, on the island of Crete. Paul was leaving Crete and leaving Titus to do the work of the ministry, to basically be a pastor to the church there in Crete. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Crete. Have you ever heard of somebody called a Cretan? Right? It's probably not a, a, a term of endearment. Right? Okay? That's such a Cretan. Well, there's a reason for that. Cretans were first uh, mentioned in the book of Acts at the day of Pentecost. And when Pentecost was there, there were people from all over. There were people from Rome. There were people from Crete. There were people from Macedonia and all over. And they came in to this room, and they were all there in one place. And the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire on the, uh, on the apostles. And then Peter preached his first sermon, um, and, he, and he preached it to all of these people from all sorts of different countries. And they all heard it in their own language. Well, the Cretans were there. And they got saved. I believe they were part of the 3,000 people that were added to their number that first day when the Christian church began, began. They experienced the Holy Spirit, and then they went back home to the island of Crete. They didn't have the scriptures like we have them today, so they didn't have all of these letters and all of these guidelines on how to live and how to do church. And so they took whatever they knew, the Holy Spirit, and they went and they started this church. They started sharing the gospel. They started um, living according to what they believed, what, what they were taught by Peter, and they, uh, and they started this church. Well, then, if you know about Cretans, their culture was evil. They were liars. They were cheaters. They were dishonest and shady. You couldn't trust them for anything. They lied a lot. And you see here, if you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it said, Paul says, one of their very own prophets says this, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. One of their own said this about themselves. And so that's why it was also important when Paul wrote, look at verse 2. It says, in the hope of eternal, eternal life that God, that God who cannot lie, blah, 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 blah. 
This is a God who cannot lie. The Cretans were like, whoa, what God is this? Everybody lies. And that was what brought the, about the specialness of this message of a God who cannot lie to the Cretans. And this Cretan culture had moved its way into every household, just a little island. So it was everywhere, even in the Christian households. And here's Paul telling Titus how they should live. Now, when I went to study this passage, I felt incredibly convicted. Because as we see this, we see that, that he said, you must deny godlessness, deny worldly lusts, live in a sensible way, live in a righteous way, live in a godly way in this present age, and proclaim it. And I thought, I'm going to stand up here, I'm going to go on the internet, and I'm going to tell everybody you need to live in a godless, godless, or deny godlessness, live in a sensible way. I'm a youth pastor, there's not much sensible about that, right? Um, so um, I, I got to live in a righteous way. And a lot of times, people sitting in the stage, people watching online, they'll look at a guy sitting up here and think that I got it all together. Like if I got to be, I got to be righteous so that I can tell you, you should live righteous. And I'm thinking, why? Well, I, I ain't going to make that. And then it says, proclaim it and let nobody disregard you. And I thought, that's going to be kind of a hard one to do. Let me see what this, let me start digging into this. And as I started digging into this, I, I, my book of Titus on my Bible is just is two pages, right? So I could see it all in one spot. I can just kind of see it all there. And I like to try to see, like, what is God really saying with this message to me? So I started reading the whole thing, and I want to show a little bit of it to you. So I'm going to do an interesting thing with the, with the screen here. I want you to get out your Bibles, and you might like to mark this up too. And so we've got it up here on the screen. So this is what I started to see. An elder... And that's the, the word that is used for that is the word that's used to describe a pastor or an under-shepherd or an overseer in the church. He must be what? Blameless. No blame. This is where it starts. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, I don't know about you, if you got kids, you know... But I can't always say that I'm blameless and my kid, nobody can ever blame me for having wild or disobedient children because my children are obedient all the time, on the first time, right? And I'm sure yours probably are too. It's other people that he's talking about, right? But he manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness or violent or pursuing dishonest gain. Now, I might be able to have some of those pretty well, but all of them, all the time, not pursuing dishonest gain, like I never get any kind of gain dishonestly ever. I mean, that's, but be hospitable. Now, I'm kind of hospitable, I think. I like to have people over to my house and stuff, but I'm probably not as hospitable as a lot of the ladies out here where that's like their spiritual gifting. Loving what is good. Now, I pretty much do love what is good, and I like to do the right thing. But if you do everything perfect all the time, you kind of want to do something wrong every now and then. Right? Right? Doesn't somebody want, don't you want to do something wrong every now and then? Maybe. I mean, I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying it's just how we all are, right, if we're going to be honest. Sensible, righteous, holy. I don't know if I would use that word to describe myself in, my, in the way that I am. Holy all the time, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to encourage sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. So I start highlighting all these things. But you, he's talking to Titus, 
to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Sound in all of those areas all of the time. We're going to see how there's a lot of, a lot of absolutes on this whole list here. In the same way, older women are to be reverent, behave in, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. You know, don't uh, some people need to be slandered every now and then, right? I mean, like, I'm not saying they really do need to be. We all need grace. We all need, but that's how a lot of us, we think, well, that person, they're this, they're this, and they're that, and they're this and that. You know, and, and, we, and we, we really think that I'm, I'm better than that person. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not perfect in this in every way. In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. In every single thing. To never not have self-control. Make, your, ex, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. Now, this is one thing I try to tell the teenagers because I'm not perfect in this. Sound beyond reproach in my teaching. So what I tell the students is I say, don't just take my word for it. Read the Bible for yourself and let God teach you because I may mess up. I'm going to do my best. But let God teach you and he will never fail you. But if I'm supposed to be beyond reproach, I'm probably not going to make it completely. So that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Not nothing bad to say about us. I mean, if I'm going to go through this life, I'm probably going to rub some people the wrong way. And I can't live life that perfectly where nobody has anything bad to say about me. So I start looking at this and I start thinking, goodness, this is quite a list. To submit yourselves to rulers and authorities... Always means you never speed, you never break any element of the law, right? And you're always submissive to all of the authorities to obey and be ready for every good work. To slander, we already went through that one, nobody ever. To avoid fighting, you're never supposed to ever get in a fight. To be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. Always all people. Always be kind to every single person. Even if the person getting your order wrong did it because they weren't paying attention, did it because you, you were very clear about things. Even if the person who's doing work at your house or whatever and they, they did a bad job and they, they were you know, doing sloppy, sloppy work or whatever, but you're always supposed to be general, gentle to them, to every single person. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by various passions and evil pleasures, pleasures, living in malice and evil and hateful, detesting one another. So I start to look at this, and I start to highlight this in my Bible and start to look like, goodness gracious, you know what? I can't do it. I can't do it. I certainly can't stand in front of a whole people and go on the internet and say, I got this all under control, and you should too. But what was Paul saying to Titus? And he was telling this to Cretans, who were some of the most shady, lying, messing up kind of people there were. They must have all felt defeated. They must have all felt like there's no way that we can do any of this. Paul is saying, I didn't even do it. 
I was a professional hater of Christians. Paul was a professional hater of Christians. He was probably complicit, and he was definitely present at the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, says they all laid their cloaks at the feet of Paul. And if Paul couldn't do it, because it even says after, well, that was all before he got saved. Well, after he got saved, he said, I struggle with this, with this struggle in the flesh. He says, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And the things that I do are the things that I don't want to do. And I, there's this constant battle within me. And if Paul couldn't do it, then his protege Titus surely couldn't do it. So what are they? Hypocrites? Because they're telling everybody, proclaim all of this stuff, let nobody disregard you. We can't do it ourselves. No. They needed grace. They needed grace. And you know what? So do I. And so do you. We all need grace. Because this is a list that I don't think anybody can uphold all the time. Now, that's why we say, by the grace of God... I do what I can. I'm going to live according to the Spirit. But we need God's grace. So what is God's grace? It's his unmerited favor. It's his unmerited favor. It's favor from God that we don't deserve. That means that we don't deserve God's goodness, but he gives it to us anyway. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, says that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. That when our sin increases again, grace covers it. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, says that we are saved by grace. And this is not based on our own goodness, but it's a gift of God based on his goodness. So let's look at this here. Chapter 2, verse 11, the first verse, we'll throw it up here, um, back to the iPad. The first verse that was given to me as the passage that I have to, that I get to preach this morning, it says, for the grace of God has appeared. For the grace of God has appeared. Here are all these things you got to go tell to the Cretans. You got to be like this. You got to do like that. You got to be like this. You got to be perfect. You got to do it right. You got to be like this in every way and all these things. And they're like, we can't do all of that. But the grace of God has appeared to you, bringing you salvation for all people. It has appeared to bring you salvation. And that's why I've entitled this message, The Power of of Unmerited Favor. Because that grace just doesn't come to us. It saves us. It brings us salvation when we certainly deserve condemnation, that the Bible says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but his grace brings us salvation. And what does that salvation do? In verse 14, it says that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Say you you mess up or you do it perfectly on all of these times, but you mess up one, it covers that. And it says that, the Bible says that if we were guilty in just one area, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. But his grace comes to us and it redeems us from all of the lawlessness. Now somebody over here might do a little bit more than somebody over here. And somebody right here might do a lot more than somebody out there. But you know what? He covers it all. And he cleanses for himself 
a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. That's real power. That we can then be made usable for God's glory. In all of our sinfulness, his grace comes to us. That's incredible power. That's incredible power. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says, When the kindness of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. What an incredible, incredibly powerful phrase that is. He saves us. He throws us the life preserver. He breathes oxygen into our lungs. He saved us from that which would certainly condemn us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. That's real power. And the washing and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out on his spirit abundantly. So that being justified through grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Now that changes me from this hopeless, messed up, failing all the time, looking at every single one of those things. I might got that one, but I'm messing messing up on all of these. To now I'm an heir to the throne of heaven? And I have a hope of eternal life? That's real power. That's real power. It's not just this theological word that looks nice on a t-shirt, grace. Oh, I'm so thankful for it. I'm going to post that one to my Facebook. It's something that can change me. It's something that can give me hope for eternity. That's the power of God's unmerited favor. Probably the most famous hymn in all of Christianity, is Amazing Grace. You know about the guy that wrote that? His name is John Newton. And he wrote Amazing Grace in 1772 at 47 years old. He was probably a good dude, wasn't he? He probably was. You know what he did for a living? He did. He sailed boats around Africa, and he captured humans... And he sold them into slavery. He was an 18th century human trafficker. And he learned it from his father. So he's a second generation 18th century human trafficker. And God saved even him. Let that sink in. That same grace can apply to even you and even me. When he was late in life, he started to kind of lose his memory a little bit. And he's quoted as having, been, having said, he remembered only two things. One, that he's a great sinner. And two, that Jesus was a great savior. And it led him to pen the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you imagine the faces that would repeat in his brain of those that he sold into slavery? It might be similar 
to the things that you repeat in your brain when you think about only the wrong things. We think of ourselves as wretches. And I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, as he wrote that and he started to understand God's grace, we can also realize that grace, God's grace, doesn't eliminate our imperfections. John Newton was still a slave trader. He was still a human trafficker. He still sold people into slavery. It didn't eliminate his imperfections, but God's grace has the supernatural power to completely cover them with Christ's holiness. And it can do the same for you. And it can do the same for me. When our sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. What a good God he is. Amen. And many of you that have shown up today, as you show up week in and week out, you've experienced God's grace. I want to challenge you and invite you today to live it out. To live out that grace for other people. To have the same amount of grace that God has for you, to have it for other people. Even the people you think deserve it the least. Especially the people you think deserve it the least. I also want to invite you to share it. Because there's a lot of people that won't come into this place because they think it's not, God's grace is good for other people, but it's not big enough for me. And so they don't come. And I want to invite you to share it. If you're online, I want to invite you. There's, there's enough grace for you. And today, the final one I want to invite you to is to accept it. If you've never accepted the gift of God's grace that will cover you with Christ's holiness, accept it today. Come and talk to me during our invitation. I'd love to help you understand how to receive this special gift. Will you pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word that tells us about who you are, how you reveal yourself to us and you show us about your grace. You could have just left us alone and you'd have been a good God. But instead, you reveal to us the fact that you give us grace and mercy. So to help us to, li help us to live in it, God. Help us to trust it. We praise you for it. Lord, I pray that salvation will come to somebody today that's either here in this room or watching online. I pray that people who experience God's grace, your grace, that they will share it with somebody else who needs it. What a good God you are. Thank you for this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If God is challenging you to, or convicting you to come up here and make a decision for him, go ahead and get up out of your seat and come and talk to me. We'd love to help you make whatever decision it is that God is leading you to.
sons to glory. Behold the man. Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers. It was, it was my sin that held him. God, we are so grateful that you have provided salvation for us through your son, Jesus Christ, who paid our debt, paid our ransom. <coughs> Father, we'll never see a better picture of grace and mercy than in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for his creation. So, Father, may our hearts turn to you this week. Even today, Father, as we have opportunity, prompt us to share. Share the good news of the gospel that we benefit from. And, Father, I pray that we would see that bear fruit. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word.